Amen. Greetings in the name of our Lord and our King, Jesus Christ. Uh, Good to be with you once again uh, as we look at the book of Romans. So take uh, your copy of Scripture and turn with me to the book of Romans. Last week, uh, we looked at Romans chapter 1 through 8. And uh, so this week, um, I thought, well, why not? Uh, Let's look at Romans 9 through 16 uh, in the same manner as we did last week. Last week, we saw um, the gospel changes us and how we gain salvation, uh, but what we lose is sin's power over us. Uh, That's what we lose in the gospel. And then Romans 9 through 16 can be summarized in a very similar way. Uh, Just like the gospel changes us, Romans 9 through 16, you can think about how gospel mercy changes us. When you receive the mercy of God, it will change your life. And so Romans 9 through 16. Um, so, but first, of course, once again, the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, I think some of you may have thought my question for small groups is interesting. Can, can you share the gospel in 30 seconds? Uh, what is the gospel? Uh, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5 says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's the cross And then, of course, Romans chapter 10 talks about believing that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive, he is king, and he was raised from the dead. That is the gospel. He died not for good people. Jesus did not die for good people. He died for the ungodly. He died while we were still sinners. He died for us. Because if you think about God's mercy and how the gospel is offered to bad people, the ungodly and the sinner, you have to think about the mercy of God being something that is given and not earned. Because if the world, God's rebellious creation, got what we earned, of course, Romans chapter 6 says that's death. If you want your paycheck, what you've earned, it's death. That's what we've earned. But oh, the mercy, the tender mercy of God. So what am I preaching about today in Romans 9 through 16? God. Tis his mercy. In fact, not only is his mercy, it's his to give. To whom does mercy belong? Where is the source of mercy? You have to look to God, for it belongs to Him, just like everything else belongs to God. So as I've been thinking about Romans 9 through 11, which I certainly will not be explaining all the mysteries of Romans 9 through 11, any any uh, scholars or seminarians out there or, and, and really curious Bible readers, I will not be explaining the mysteries of Romans 9 through 11 because that's a longer sermon series and I'm going to leave that to Pastor Blair one day to explain to you Romans 9 through 11. But here's the question as you read Romans 9 through 11, one of the questions I've been pondering. Whose world are you living in? Whose world are you living in? To whom does this world belong? 
It's not to me. I didn't make it. It's not to you. You didn't have the power to create it. Whose world are we living in anyway? Romans chapter 11, as we read at the end of chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. The world and everything in it truly belongs to God. And that has enormous implications for us. For that means we owe God our life. If God made the world, including you, you owe God your life. But the bad news is, instead of giving God our lives, we've sinned against him. He made it. He gave you the breath you are breathing right now. But we sinned against him. Oh, the mercy of God. And still, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to a cross and raised him again so that he could give us mercy. So Romans 9 through 11, in essence, answers a few questions related to God's promises to Israel in the Old Testament. Romans 9 through 11, you can really see how your Bible fits together. The Old Testament and the New Testament fits together. And, and they're thinking about some questions about God in light of the Messiah has come, and yet there is mercy for both Jewish people and non-Jewish people, us Gentiles. And, and there are these different things that Paul is wrestling with and teaching us about God's promises to Israel that, interestingly enough, included us. And I want to especially highlight Romans chapter 9, verse 15. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9 with me. As one of the questions about God choosing people, electing, verse 14, of course, you have the question, well, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Verse 15, catch this, because remember, this is a sermon about God. So we need to think about what God is like. Verse 15, for he says... To Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That is our God. How can he say that? How can he do that? How is it that mercy is something he gives and it's not earned and only God can give it? Because everything belongs to him. He made it. He owns it. You can't go to the bank and buy it. God owns the universe. And with him is mercy. Therefore, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And then the amazing thing in Romans chapter 10 he calls us to trust him. And he says in chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to wonder. Okay, so it's God choosing to give mercy, but you don't have to wonder about receiving mercy. Here's what God says. Call on me and I'll save you. That's also our God. 
He says it to you. Call on my name and I will save your soul. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again and he will make sure it happens. He will make sure you are saved. But why? Why would he do this? Chapter 11, verse 36 again. All things are to him or for him. It's for his own glory. He's calling you to salvation for his own glory. And this is good for us. Notice in chapter 11, verse 36, I love prepositions. I just love them. And if you study Greek, pay attention to the prepositions. It's just a fun thing to do. And here's one reason why in verse 36. From him and through him and to him are all things. God is the source of all things. God is the sustainer of all things, including you right now. God is sustaining you. If you are alive right now, God is sustaining you. And all things are to him. All things are for his glory. The word God is mentioned 153 times in Romans. 26 of those times are in Romans 9 through 11. The word Lord mentioned 43 times in Romans and eight times in Romans 9 through 11. The book of Romans, the apostle Paul, the apostle servant Paul is telling us about God, our Lord. He's telling us about how God is the one over everything. He's telling us about how he's directing salvation. He is king after all, so he's directing it. He is the one exhibiting both kindness and severity, depending on how you trust him. Paul will talk about the kindness and the severity of God. God is not someone you can put in a box and say, I just like this part of God. God is God. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. And he says, trust me. Trust me and you'll have my kindness. Thus, it is no surprise that also, if all of these things are with God, he's the one controlling all things, he's over all things, he is God, then where do I get mercy? For I have sinned. Where do I get mercy? God. You can only get mercy from God. And why would he do this for himself? For he created all things, as Psalm 104 states, after recounting the creation. So Psalm 104 reaches back to Genesis chapter 1, recounts creation, and says something very interesting. Because we, you recount creation, and you almost want to think about, well, what about man and things for man? Of course, God does things for man. But Psalm 104 says this, May the Lord rejoice in his works. That's one reason God created us. Psalm 104. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He created it for himself. For his own joy. So whose world are we living in? Whose world are you living in? You have to say, I exist for God, that he may rejoice over his works. I have a greater purpose than what the world's going to tell you. 
Think about the purposes that the world tells you why you exist. How disappointing. You exist that the Lord might rejoice over his works. What a greater purpose. John Calvin explains it this way, quote, For how unreasonable would it be for creatures whom he has formed and whom he sustains to live for any other purpose than for making his glory known? Bear with me, I want to read that one more time. I mean, I named my daughter Geneva. I want to quote Calvin one more time, please. For how unreasonable would it be for creatures whom he has formed and whom he sustains to live for any other purpose than for making his glory known? What is your purpose? To live in humble thankfulness for the mercy of God. Are you living in humble thankfulness for the mercy of God today? What a beautiful life. What a life worth living. Humble thankfulness in God's mercy. You say, well, where do you get that application of humbleness? Look at chapter 11, verse 20. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. So there's the humble part. Verse 25, you Gentiles, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. Romans 9 through 11 should keep us humble as we think about the glories of God and the mercies of God. That it's the church that walks through this world in humble dependence upon God as our creator and sustainer. And then... Did anybody find it interesting that the scripture reading in chapter 11 didn't stop at amen in verse 36? You're like, oh, wait a minute, we got a couple more verses to go, right? Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 12 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is a key shift in Paul's argument in Romans. So you have Romans 9 through 11, of course, and the mercies of God, the mysteries of what's going on with Israel. And then he says, okay, therefore. So Paul is going to give us the application. He's going to make the shift and say, okay, in light of the mercies of God, which go back to chapter 9, verse 15 that we just read. So he's reaching back to the mercies of God, and he's going, okay, therefore, Paul says, church, here's what I want you to do. How do, how do you live as a saint? How do you live in the mercies of God? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So I want you to take your bulletin, if you will, for a moment, and turn over to the outline, and you'll see point number three. You'll see several verses Okay, and when we get into this application of Romans 12, 13, and 14 especially, chapter 16 in a sense, it's going to be a lot of do's, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. But here's what I want you to think about with that. I don't want you to read them as do's and don'ts, because I don't think that's what they are. 
I want you to read them in light of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That's how I want you to read them. When I was um, working several years ago, right before we read these verses, I want us to think about this. As I was working several years ago uh, on some training modules at work, we've all had the computer screen, you get a new job, and you've got to read through all the training material, the modules to, to learn your work, right? And there was just, it was one of these companies where, I mean, just module after module, that thing I'm just reading on the computer, one thing after another after another. And I was about 30 or 31 years old, and I remember all of a sudden, my eyes getting blurry, or the words on the screen getting blurry. And I mean, I had to, I, I was a new hire, so I had to get through this training material to keep my job and feed my children named Geneva and other, other names. And, and I just remember just getting this huge headache because I was straining to read the computer screen and all of these words, and just such a headache. And so I went, of course, to the eye doctor. And what's the eye doctor going to tell me? What are these? Reading glasses. He said, oh, you need reading glasses. So they make these things with lenses. And, and I, I'm like, I just turned 30, 31. And I'm like, really? I got to wear reading glasses? And, um, and they've got these lenses that they make. And it was amazing. I put them on. I could see the words, and they're not weird-shaped, and they're not blurry. I don't have a headache anymore, and I can read. I can read normally. Thankfully, I don't have to wear them all the time yet, but, but I can read. And, of course, the lens, what's it doing? It's keeping things into focus so that you read it correctly. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is. I want you to put the lens of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, on your eyes, as we're reading point number three in the bulletin, these verses of what a saint looks like. So because of God's mercy, because we've been saved, chapter 12, verse 9 says, Church, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And let's just keep going. Chapter 13, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Yes, think back to Exodus 12 that we read earlier. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Behold, this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, 
But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And then finally, skip over to chapter 16, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, that's a lot of do's and don'ts, isn't it? Or is it? So Paul is not saying, if you've read Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11, Paul is not saying, do all these things so that you can be good for God and maybe get saved. That's not what God's saying. God is saying, gospel mercy has changed your life. And so you scratch your head, well, what does that look like then? How then shall I live? Here's your mark of a saint. Saved by Jesus. It's a life of love. And I know I got it right because somebody just winked at me. And I winked back. It's a life of love. Somebody, uh, one time I was sitting with other uh, Christians. Uh, We were out at some, I don't remember where we were. We were just out and about somewhere sitting around people in the world and chatting with a lady beside us. And uh, she was getting to know us. And then she goes, huh, you're, you're a bunch of holy people, aren't you? And I immediately responded, made holy. You see the difference? You're made holy by the cross of Jesus. So these do's and don'ts, it's not do's and don'ts. It's I'm made holy, I'm a saint because of God's mercy. So then how should I live? Let love be genuine. Love one another with a brotherly affection. There's your mark. Love. And I want to hone in on verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's one way to love. I love this because it has the idea, you're not just throwing out money in a detached kind of way. This is sharing the needs of the saints. This is coming together and saying, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, what are the needs? And we're going to share those needs together. Somebody gets up here and says, I need a car because I want to drive around the country and and share Jesus with other people. Wink, wink, you remember that one? You're, You're sharing in that. You're coming along together. You're not detached and just giving money. You're saying, I want to share and contribute to the needs of the saints because I'm a saint too, and you're a saint. And we're living this life for God together. And so we're going to open up our wallets to share together the needs of the saints. Why? Because God has given me everything I need. I sinned against God, and God gave me mercy. It's nothing for me to write a check. What is that? I've received the mercy of God, and you have too. Let us share in the needs of the saints together. And then chapter 3, verse 7. I'm just going to leave that right there. I think one reason we have chapter 13, verse 7, is that it transcends our political views. Just listen to what God has to say on the matter. Pay to all what is owed them. 
But chapter 13, verse 8 and 10 is why I chose Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments from our Old Testament scripture reading. And I love what Tom Schreiner, he says this on the front of your bulletin. Check out this quote on the front of your bulletin by Tom Schreiner. He says, the law of Christ is exemplified by a life of love, but such love is expressed in a life of virtue. Do you catch that, how he's explaining Romans 13 here? You cannot separate, in God's world at least, in God's world, you cannot separate love and ethics. Why, and why do we need to keep those two together? Well, look at verse 10, of chapter 13. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So when you tell somebody, I love you, you're saying, I'm, I will do you no wrong. And you know what the world does with sin? They wrong each other all the time. They hurt each other. They might call it love, but it ain't. Jesus has showed us what love is. And Jesus has showed us that love is expressed in a life of virtue. Doing no wrong to your neighbor, contributing to the needs of the saints, this is love. And in fact, when you walk around the world, go to different countries, various different religions, what's one of the primary ways you know somebody is an adherent to a particular religion? What's one of the ways? What they're wearing, right? Lots of different religions. And I'm not picking out any particular religion right now. I'm just saying, you, you travel around the world, somebody's wearing something, you're like, oh, they're a such and such. Oh, they're a such and such. Purely by what they're physically wearing, right? So it begs the question, how do you know somebody's a Christian? I mean, I hope I'm not wearing anything odd today. How do you know somebody's a Christian? Look at chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You put on Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Love and holiness. That's what you're spiritually wearing. Ah, that's a Christian. He's walking in love and holiness because gospel mercy must have changed that person's life. And he is putting on Jesus. I think not just maybe as like a shirt or a wardrobe, I mean as body armor. Put Jesus on as body armor to not fulfill, the gratif not to gratify the desires of the flesh. You need body armor for that. Spiritual body armor. That's what happens when a person is changed by God's mercy. And for the sake of time, we'll just skip over to Romans 16. My apologies to those who wanted to go through chapter 14 and 15. At least chapter 15, Pastor Blair already taught us that. So I'm, I'm good for one of two. But I, I certainly don't want us to skip the conclusion of Romans going through Romans. Romans chapter 16. Verse 16 says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ 
greet you. And Paul was working through all the different people. He's writing to the believers in Rome, mentioning people by name, greeting one another, describing their relationships, etc. And notice that the greeting in verse 16 is holy. It's not just a greeting. There's something holy about it because of what Christ has done for us. And one of the points I want us to see from Romans 16, as we live life together as people who have been made saints or made holy, and gospel mercy has changed our lives, is that you are a saint together and not apart. You are a saint together and not apart. In fact, it might be silly to think about the Lone Ranger Christian, like, oh, I can just go off and do Christianity my way by myself. And here's a couple of, let me give you the biblical sense of why that would be really odd and also just a, a general idea of why that would be bad. Look at chapter 12, verses 9 through 13 again. When we read through that in chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, there is no way you can do that by yourself. It's impossible. If you say, oh, I just do my own thing. I'm a Christian. I do my own thing. Well, God, God has called you. Not, not Alex. God has called you to love one another. God has called you to share in the needs of the saints. It's impossible. You can't do it by yourself. No way. It would be like uh, playing football. Football's on everybody's mind, right? Except it's, only, it's on my mind because it's on the break room at lunch and the TV's on. I see that, that there's football season or something's coming around. And a lot of talk about quarterbacks, I would imagine. And you can have the greatest quarterback in the world. But if he steps out on that field without his team, by himself, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought what this looked like? Turn on, all right, you college football people, think about that. You NFL football people, think about that. Think about your favorite team. In my quarterbacks, he's great. I want you to think about that guy going out on the field completely by himself against the opposing team. What does he have to do? First, he's got to hike the ball to himself like you were playing in the backyard. Then he's got to block for himself while he looks down the field at no one. And then he's got to throw the ball really high in the air so he can then run and catch his own pass block while he's trying to run to the touchdown. And I even haven't gotten to defense yet when he swaps over to defense by himself. Okay, that would be silly and absurd, right? And imagine this guy walking, out, walking around going, I'm a quarterback. Yeah, after that game, he ain't gonna be a quarterback no more. He's probably gonna get hurt. That is the same thing if you walk around and go, I'm a Christian, but the church thing, that's not, really, that's not really my thing. Those people over there. No. Jesus is building his church. In fact, God has designed the world in creation, and Jesus is building his church in such a fashion that you can't do it by yourself. God hasn't given us that option. Saints together, greeting one another in chapter 16. And so I want to conclude 
with just a few things in chapter 16, just a few quick principles here of the Christian fellowship and living together. Principle number one for Romans 16. Christians roll up our sleeves and serve one another. Look at the details of Romans 16 at some point. I mean, they're really nitty gritty. They're serving one another and working with one another. Christians roll up our sleeves and get to work together, serve one another. Somebody was serving Paul. There, actually, there's more than one person in here that's helping Paul. And one writer says, basically, if Paul needed help in the Christian life, how much more do we? And you see Paul being helped in Romans chapter 16. Secondly, Christian service is not always safe. In verse 4, he talked about people who risked their necks or for Paul's life. God's will for you may not be a physically safe place. And we see that with the early Christians. And then third and finally, Christian fellowship is rooted in the sacrifice of Christ. So gospel mercy changes us. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the book of Romans as a whole talks to us about the gospel. But then it says something very interesting. If you read Romans chapter 1 through chapter 16, it says this is what your life will look like. This is how you'll be known. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we pray through the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit, and God, I pray that your word would accomplish your purpose and your desire as you have sent it to us. Lord, I pray for some people in here who need to be encouraged in the truth and in the faith and comforted. I pray for those that you would comfort them and encourage them. Lord, some here need to be rebuked. I pray that you would do that and not me. Lord, I pray for the needs of the saints in this room. Lord, I pray that you would lift their burdens. I pray that we would be able to speak with one another in such a way that we find out what those needs are and that we meet those needs in Christ Jesus. And so, God, I pray for our response time that you'd bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.